When I was a child, I wanted to be a famous archaeologist. I was obsessed with all things Egypt. My room, no joke, was decorated with hieroglyphics, and the mask of Tutankhamun sat on a shelf in the focal point of my room. And though I'm still a historian of sorts, my research hardly takes me back to the sands of Egypt. Satoshi Tajiri grew up wanting to be an entomologist, obsessed with collecting bugs. As a child, I'm sure that he too could have never imagined his future, later on becoming the creator of the largest media franchise in the entire world. But it was his obsession with bugs that inspired him to create a game that focused on pocket monsters, or Pokemon. And well, the rest is history. The history of which we're going to talk about. 23 years ago, Pokemon Red and Blue was introduced to American audiences, and we're going back to the beginning. So stick around and join us as we try to catch them all on today's trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 57th episode of our Video Game Nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we take a look at one title relevant to the current week in gaming history, and we talk about it. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, and what it gave back to the world in its legacy. And today, we're diving into quite a legacy as we talk all about Pokemon. The first game of which was Pokemon Red and Blue, released in the United States for the Game Boy on September 28th, 1998. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who wants to be the very best, like no one ever was. Catching them is his real test. Training them is his cause. He's known to travel across the land, searching far and wide. He is, of course, my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, tell me about your destiny. Well, Dave, to catch them all and become the champion. <laughs> I really did just spell out the whole damn song. Someone's going to roll their eyes so hard at me, it's not even funny. Uh, yeah, yeah, that that'll happen. Yeah, yeah, that's that's gonna be a, a eye palm of a moment. Uh, Rob, you're a Pokemon fan, aren't you? Uh, I've dabbled once or twice. Yeah, or my ass. Times. Yeah. So <laughs> this is this is gonna be a fun one for you. Well, this is a series that I know better than you for once. One thousand percent. One thousand 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 percent. I am. Yes, you know more than me. So. How are you? What's going on? All that good stuff? Uh, doing doing pretty good. Can't complain about too much. Uh, got a new drone that's going to be fun to try out. And uh, just getting getting ready for the rest of the week. How about yourself? Yeah, been a busy day. Non-stop, but here we are. Now we're recording. Get to sit down and, and dabble in some, some video game uh history and nostalgia and i always enjoy that i look forward to it every week so uh that note what you've been playing stick with the stick with the now what you've been playing well this week has been mostly rocket league uh we finally finished our diablo we did uh, i did a bit of timberborn and then 
Uh, yeah, no, that's about it. Yep. Hmm. How about you? Uh, well, you spelled out the Rocket League and that we finally finished Diablo. And otherwise, I had about an hour, maybe a little bit more to put into. I, I, I loaded up Cyberpunk finally. It's been sitting in my library for months now. And I said, why not? I've given it almost a year. I think it's been out for a year for them to work out some bugs. I Whoa. That'll be enough time. Has it really been a year already? It's got to be close to a year. Let's let's find out uh, when it's been. Cyberpunk 2077. Hit the Wikipedia's. Originally released on the 10th of December 2020. So I'm three months shy. So it's been, what, nine months? Nine gotcha. months. Yeah. So not too far off. No, I mean, I... But, wow. uh, yeah. I didn't think it had been that long. Honestly, it feels like it was a few months ago. Yeah. Well, so far, so good. You know, I, I'm, I'm not a picky gamer. I'm, I'm just not. I'm tolerant of bugs. They happen. They crack me up. I don't need the the cutting edge graphics. I, I I'm a I'm a story. I'm a story over substance. You know, the eye candy. Eye candy is good for me when it supports a really good story. So I'm like I said, I'm very tolerant for a lot of things. I don't. I wouldn't have thought I would have had a lot of the issues from the beginning, but I, I don't know because I'm playing it now and I'm playing it on PC and, you know, it looks good. It plays well. I've been, you know, I, I played it on my computer, mouse and keyboard for a while. And then I shot it over to my TV and played it on the controller for a while. I definitely prefer it mouse and keyboard because I suck with shooting games on the uh, on the controller sometimes. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. I, it, it switched back and forth just fine. Speaking of shooting games, Rob. Next weekend or the end of next week is the open beta for Battlefield. Did you see that yet? Uh, no, I had not. That's oh, OK. The sixth, the sixth, which we of course we know what day is the sixth through the ninth. So I think that's Thursday through Saturday. I'm not sure, but the sixth through the eighth or the sixth through the ninth is an open beta weekend for Battlefield. So we will definitely have to make time to play that they're going to have four classes one map on conquest mode for those couple days for people to try out and put those servers through their stress tests so we will be there come join us on our discord server we'll hit you on the squad we'll get you in there for those of you who don't know rob's a, a really huge battlefield fan i'm a battlefield fan too but he's a huge battlefield fan and um yeah, yeah. we'll be we'll be playing that so so yeah so rob uh pokemon do you know much about where it comes from uh admittedly i don't know much of the backstory behind the development i obviously with gen one a lot of it is based upon animals and you feel that you feel like as time went on that changed uh well there's a chandelier pokemon there's a literal bag of trash I think they got away from just being animals for the most part. I mean, muck to be fair and Grimer were piles of muck and grime, but for the most part, like you can only make so many animals into something and then you have to kind of start getting more creative. Yeah, true enough. Well, Pokemon story goes way, way back to the 1960s. 
In fact, August 28, 1965, when Satoshi Tajiri was born. Satoshi Tajiri was, as a child, uh, enjoyed insect collecting as a hobby, which earned him the nickname Dr. Bug from the other children, and was known to want to grow up to be an entomologist, which is, you know, a fancy word for a bug doctor, you know, when he grew up. As a child, the area that Tajiri lived in was mostly rural. Uh, this is metropolitan Tokyo. This is before now when that whole area just had a pop population explosion. And so the area he lived in was more green than not. I mean, we all know areas like that where the city has slowly encroached on them, you know. And so as more and more people moved to the area, you know, more buildings means more concrete and more concrete means less areas to collect bugs. So as Tajiri got older, you know, bug collecting became less of a hobby. And of course, you know, if you grew up in Japan or here in the 1970s, there was, of course, the arcade craze. You know, we've talked about the golden age of arcades through the 70s. And, you know, Tajiri was no stranger to arcades. In fact, as a teenager, he became infatuated with video games. One of his favorite was uh, Xevious. He liked Namco games. We've talked about a bunch of Namco games. But in 1981, he started a fanzine, which is basically a fan-made magazine about a specific topic uh, called Game Freak. In the beginning, he hand-wrote and he hand-stapled every issue of his fanzine. And the fanzine focused on the arcade scene, and each issue contained winning strategies and Easter eggs for various popular arcade cabinets found throughout Japan. So that was kind of like an early cheat guide that would have come out. Like, I remember in 2001, like, we have one that has cheat codes for all the consoles. It's kind of similar to that, huh? Yeah, well, you know, we've briefly touched on a fanzine in one of the previous episodes when we did, I think think it was civilization do you remember when we talked about mail in like there was a mail in concept for one of the games yeah you played it through the mail you played it through the mail well that was published as a fanzine too they're they're basically very niche magazines that are typically created not by traditional pub you know publishers but but by fans and hand-drawn and handwritten and photocopied and stuff like that Game Freak's best-selling issue, uh, since we just talked about Xevious, it gave gamers details on how to achieve a high score in that game, and it sold just over 10,000 copies. At some point during Game Freak's run, a fan of the magazine, Ken Sujimori, reached out to, to Jerry and basically said, you know, hey, I'm an illustrator, I'm a big fan of your magazine, you're in your fanzine, let me help. And so for much of the rest of the run of Game Game Freak as a fanzine, Ken Sujimori would, would join the Game Freak team as its illustrator. So Game Freak, the fanzine, ran from 1981 to 1986. And these two, along with other contributors, they regularly published issues of the fanzine. But as more and more games were submitted to, to Game Freak and arcade cabinets began popping about, Tajiri really began to question the quality of video games and it wasn't before long that he got the i want to make video game bugs you know he looked at it and he thought that he and sujimori were going to be the solution to the problem they wanted to create their own games and basically you know if if you can't do it i'll do it myself and i'll do it better you know what i mean yeah 
And so it was that in 1989, Tajiri and Sujimori decided to evolve the magazine company into a video game development company. So towards the end of the magazine's run, Tajiri has started to familiarize himself with Family Basic, which was the programming language for Nintendo's family computer, which was the Famicom, which was the early precursor to the Nintendo. And he used the Family Basic to understand how the Famicom worked. Now, as part of this process, he was inspired to create his own homemade development hardware from spare electronic parts. He spent another few years learning programming and another developing his first title, which was Quinty. Along this time, he had went to a technical school, so there was a whole lot of stuff mixed in. But that brings us to Game Freak's first game, Quinty. Quinty was known in the United States as Mendel Palace. It is Game Freak's first game a 1989 puzzle video game in which either one player or two players in cooperative mode find themselves, excuse me, in the middle of this five by seven room that's tiled in a grid. And in each room, there are these creepy dolls coming for you. And you had to flip the tiles to push them away and into the edges of the room. And when you push them in the edge of the room, you'd beat them. Clear each room by getting rid of all the dolls And what was puzzling about it is that there were different dolls that moved in different ways, different tiles that did different things. And you basically had to put all this stuff together to clear all the rooms and get through the the palace. I remember Mendel Palace. it's It's a game that stuck out in my head because not too long after the well, it would have been longer after this. Do do you know what Mendel squares are? Rob, do you remember learning about them at all? Yeah, it's Gregor Mendel, the father of modern genetics. He's right. He plants and the seven traits that were independent. You know. Right, exactly. So I remember when I was younger, this game stuck out in my head and it's a tile game like in grids. And I, I remember learning about genetics and confusing the two because I would have been what five six when this came out five you know and probably knew about it a few years later i remember it being in magazines i remember having i don't know if it was nintendo power or some magazine that had a strategy for mendel palace and i just remember as i got older i, I you know i was i would think that this was a game about genetics and it has nothing to do with genetics i, I it, it's just the name i don't know why they picked that name Um, Or how it relates to the story, because the story is a a traditional damsel in distress story. Maybe it was the the guy was an evil doll maker. I I don't know. But for one reason, this is one game that like I've never forgotten about it, but I couldn't remember its name. And I certainly didn't know it was a game freak game. And so it was really fun to bring this all together, if that makes any sense. I mean, it, it makes sense, you know. Mendel Palace. It only sold about 60,000 copies in the United States. I mean, it wasn't, I guess 60,000 copies is nothing to shy at for that time period, but it's not like it was Super Mario Brothers selling millions of copies, you know? Yeah, no, that absolutely is true. But, but it's a good game. Well, and, but, and that's the thing. It's a good game. Like, it reviewed well. Even today, like, I went online on YouTube and I was looking at some playthroughs of it and people talk about it fondly and in in a good light and uh you know even from their first outing you know game freak game freak was making great video games right here 
It was Tajiri's success with Mendel Palace that really inspired him to push forward with video game development. Which brings us to 1990, where a little seed begins to grow in his mind. So it was about this time in which he saw the Game Boy for the first time, and more importantly, the Game Boy Link. So when Tajiri saw the link between the two Game Boys, he envisioned bugs crawling back and forth between the cable, bringing him back to, the, to his childhood love of bug collecting. And it was from this really simple concept that Pokemon was evolved. Eh? Eh? Evolved. Get it? Get it? Ha ha ha. Oh. Tajiri was excited about the concept of connectivity between the Game Boys. You know, he imagined that it would be able to be used to allow gamers to trade collectibles with one another when realistically at the time when he got his hands on it about the only thing it was used for was for two people to play tetris together on the game boy so while conceiving pokemon which is pokemon which is pocket monsters by the way that's where pokemon comes from while conceiving pokemon to jerry to jerry noticed that kids you know, he, he thought about how kids now played in their home instead of outside because the area, you know, he, he lived in a concrete jungle. It was no longer the rural, you know, community that he grew up with. And so there wasn't an outside. It was a city. And so, you know, children were playing inside their homes. And so he came up with he came up with the idea of a video game that contained creatures that resembled insect, which, like I said, he called pocket monsters which was eventually abbreviated to Pokemon. He thought that kids could relate with the Pokemon by individually naming them and then controlling them to represent fear or anger as a good way of relieving stress. So kind of like a, a early concept of like a Tamagotchi was one of the early concepts. Um, he knew he wanted them to, to battle with one another. However, he was very adamant that Pokemon would never bleed nor die in battle. In fact, if you've ever played a Pokemon, you know that when you lose a battle, you only faint. And this is a very touchy subject for Tajiri because he didn't want to further, as he put it, I didn't want to further fill the gaming world with pointless violence. So Tajiri first pitched the idea of Pokemon to Nintendo. And they really couldn't grasp the concept. They, they, they just couldn't wrap their head around it. But they were really impressed with his reputation as a game designer, you know, from Quinty slash Mendel Palace, that they decided they were going to explore the option. They were going to give him his team and they were going to let him kind of do it. And so famed game designer Shigeru Miyamoto took Tajiri under his wing, guiding him during the creation process. You know, it was Miyamoto's idea, for instance, that suggested, which is now a, a, a key aspect of the Pokemon series. Uh, Miyamoto was the one that suggested putting different Pokemon into different cartridges uh, to encourage the concept of trading that Tajiri was really fond of. So, you know, they kind of worked together on that. In turn, it was the Game Freak illustrator, Ken Sujimori, uh, you know, illustrator of Game Freak magazine that headed the development and the design of all 151 Pokemon. He basically worked with a team of about less than 10 people to conceive the entirety of all the art. And then it said that he drew all the basic concepts at different angles. And he finalized the drawings on all 151 original Pokemon. So also another little interesting thing. Pokemon originally was going to be called Capsule Monsters. And one of the, the titles that they worked on was Cap Capumon. 
but they couldn't they they couldn't work it out because of copyright difficulties. So they eventually settled on the original concept, which was Pocket Monsters, and now Pokemon. So Pokemon Red and Green took six years to produce. In that six years, Tajiri and Game Freak took on some other projects uh, between design and you know conception and finish. They worked on a few Mario spinoffs. They worked on Yoshi, and they worked on Mario and Wario, which was a Japanese-only spinoff. But in that six years... They nearly bankrupted Game Freak in the process. You know, it's often said that there was barely enough money to pay employees. And at one point, they came to an impasse where five employees quit and Tajiri didn't take a salary. You know, instead, he was lucky enough to be living off his father's income. Cue up Creatures Incorporated. Creatures Incorporated swooped in, invested into Game Freak, and allowed Game Freak to complete the game. And in return, Creatures received one-third of the franchise rights. So we've talked about Creatures before in quite a few episodes. I think we first talked about them in our Earthbound episode, where they developed video games once as a company called Ape Incorporated. And the games that they are probably known best for are the Mother series, the second one of which is called Earthbound here in the United States. And if you recall... The development process for Earthbound was not very smooth. And so after Earthbound was released, Ape Incorporated kind of disbanded themselves and they would reform shortly thereafter as creatures uh, with uh, Sunakazu Ishihara at the helm. And this is relevant because Ishihara is currently president of the Pokemon company. And I think it's fascinating that this is where he got his start, which is not bad for contributing, you know, basically saving Game Freak from bankruptcy and getting one third of the rights. And now you're president of what the largest media franchise in the world. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And when Isha, when Ishihara left to work with the Pokemon company, when he left creatures incorporated, the second CEO of creatures was hip Tanaka. We've heard hip Tanaka quite a bit. Hip Tanaka was a music composer who's worked on a lot of games many of which we've talked about, including Metroid, Kid Icarus, Super Mario Land, Tetris, Mother, the first Mother game, Dr. Mario, and Mother 2 are Earthbound. I mean, so we, we've we've covered Hip Tanaka quite a bit, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, no, we definitely have. And here he is. Here he is alongside all these other famous people. And so here we are. Took six years. They bankrupted the company. They had to get rescued by creatures, but they got the money. They managed to make it work. And six years later, Pokemon was released. So in Japan, the first versions of these games were called Pocket Monsters Red and Green. And they were completed by October of 1995. And they were officially released on February 27th, 1996. So what's what's that now? How old is that? 26 years? I can't remember. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So these first copies of the game, Pocket Monsters Red and Green, sold pretty rapidly. You know, um, it, it it's attested largely to the fact that, you know, they produced two versions of the game instead of a single title, which prompted a lot of people to buy both. I don't know about you, but I don't know many people who've bought both versions of a Pokemon. Do you know many people who've done that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you do. Yep. Myself included. Oh, nice. Well, several months later, Pocket Monsters Blue was released. Originally, it was a mail order only special edition 
of the game to subscribers of the Coral Coral Comic Con. Uh, no, Coral Coral Comic on October 15th, 1996. It, Pocket Monsters Blue was later released to general retail about three years later in October of 1999. But Blue features updated in-game artwork. It has new dialogue. It's got, what is it, Blastoise? Is that how you say it? Yes, Blastoise. It's got Blastoise as its mascot, and so on and so forth. So, at one point, interest in Pokemon began to wane in Japan. And so, to create more interest in the games, Chijiri revealed that there was an extra Pokemon called Mew hidden within them, which he now believes created a lot of rumors and myths about the game and reinvigorated people's interest in the game. So, Mew was a Pokemon originally added by Shigeki Morimoto as an internal prank and was never intended to be exposed to consumers. Um, it wasn't until later that Nintendo decided to distribute Mew through a Nintendo promotional event that he became available. And then later, later on in 2003, there became uh, a glitch became widely known to the public that could be exploited. So pretty much anyone could obtain a Mew in the game. Um, which brings us to how it got to us. You know, at one point, you know, Pokemon was successful and they knew where they were going to bring it over to the United States. And so they had to they had to basically localize the game. During the localization, there was a small team that went through the individual Pokemon and they had to work on renaming them for Western audiences based on their appearance and characteristics uh, after getting approved by Nintendo, of course. As part of this process... Nintendo trademarked all 151 Pokemon names because they wanted to ensure that they would be unique to the Pokemon franchise as part of the process. But during the translation process, it became apparent that simply altering the game's text from straight Japanese to English was impossible. And so the game had to actually be entirely reprogrammed from scratch because its source code could not just could not just be translated simply. And so there was a lengthy development time between the Japanese versions and United States versions. Also, because of all the time, we had already had Pocket Monsters Blue. And so the, the United States versions, the programming, the modeling, the artwork, they're almost all based after Blue, with the exception of the distribution of Pokemon is specifically found from the Japanese red and green cartridges. As part of the marketing campaign, when red and blue versions were being prepped for release in the United States, it said that Nintendo spent over $50 million to promote the games. Fearing, they're basically, Rob, they were afraid that Pokemon as a series would not appeal to American children. The concern was that these cute monsters would basically, the cute monsters weren't going to appeal to us, and they recommended instead that they were going to be redesigned and beefed up. You you know what I mean? Yeah. Because cute cute isn't an, a, a Western audience thing. We don't... I mean, we've accepted it, but traditionally the Hello Kitties and the Kawaii and all that, it's it's not an us thing. I, I'm going to say that's definitely changed in the last few years. It seems that the Kawaii is the new norm for America. Yeah, you're probably right. Despite the fact that the Western localization team wanted to change up the cute monsters president of nintendo hiroshi yamauchi who we've talked about quite a bit he put his foot down and refused and basically he saw that the the he saw this reception of you know it, it was a challenge for them to face 
You know, he 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 was prepared to step up and go, well, we're going to make them like our cute monsters. And so, yeah, you have reprogrammed red and blue versions. They have original creature designs and, a, you know, new script, new names, new everything. And that's released in North America on September 28th, 1998. And well, all I can really say is they overcame the challenge, didn't they? <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, Pokemon is the most lucrative media franchise in the world. It's currently valued at about $105 billion. That's that's billion with a B. I want to talk about that for a second before we get into the game. I'm going to pass it over to Rob for a lot of the game talk because I, I don't have a lot of experience with Pokemon. Not to say I've never played them, but Rob has played a lot more than I have. $105 billion. Want to know how that breaks down? Go for it, Dave. So the video games themselves only account for about $23.5 billion. The largest chunk by far is licensed merchandise, which has made the Pokemon company. Um, and let I, might I add, this includes the trading card game, which is incredibly popular. But this licensed merchandise has made the Pokemon company $81.1 billion. I want to put that in perspective. So Star Wars, which is a huge media franchise for millions of people across the world. Its entirety of its media franchise is only worth $68 billion. And Mickey Mouse, you know, the freaking Walt Disney is arguably the face of everything in the world. Mickey Mouse himself is only worth $80 billion in its entirety. So the licensed merchandise end of the Pokemon company is worth more than Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse in his entirety, which is kind of nifty. There are a few other ways that Pokemon makes money. One point eight billion for their box office take, such as recent movies like, you know, Detective Pikachu. One hundred and forty four million for home entertainment, which includes their animated cartoon series and Blu-rays and as such. 142 million in strategy guide revenue, which think about that. They make as much money in strategy guides as they do in cartoon sales, which is crazy to think of. And my absolute favorite three million dollars in jet aircraft sales. What? <laughs> I know. That's why I had to include that. <laughs> which that yes, yes. There's just a Pokemon jet that they sell every year. Yep, so Pokemon Jets Pokemon Jets are aircraft sold that are painted completely with a Pokemon livery by various airlines. For the longest time all Nippon Airways did it, but there are other other air, airlines that are doing it now. So the passengers on the Pokemon Jets receive a complete Pokemania experience. The aircraft and the flight crews are all decked out on Pokemon themes. The headrests are Pokemon. The flight attendant uniforms are Pokemon. The food containers, the in-flight entertainment. There are souvenir bags. They're all decked out in Pokemon. And all the airways that do this pretty much see an increase in the number of passengers carried as a result of operating Pokemon jets. Yes. Freaking crazy. They make $3 million a year in aircraft sales. Oh my God. That's I don't freaking cool. I don't, I don't think that there is another, another video game series that, that can do it. Uh, Yeah. I'm curious now to see if there's like Mario themed jets. 
I mean, I've seen other other like jets, but I don't know if there's I don't I I mean, the Pokemon ones are really sharp, to be honest with you. So that's that's Pokemon. That is Pokemon start out as bugs crawling across the cable and almost bankrupted the company, but it made it through. And here we are 20 some years later with the absolute biggest. And it's not even like I think Disney was one of the closest ones at 80 million or, or Mickey Mouse. I mean, they've got everyone beat beat by a, a large sum of money. So Pokemon's just huge. Well, got to say props to creatures for coming in and saving the day and then becoming one of the largest companies. Yeah. Yeah. The Pokemon <laughs> company is, isn't it three companies? I, I forgot to put that in my research because there's just so much here, but it's creatures, it's Game Freak, and there's one more that it's like a, tr- it's like three companies that came together to form the Pokemon company. And now they manage this multi-billion dollar conglomerate from the top of their literally probably golden tower. I don't think it's golden. It probably is shaped like Pikachu, actually. I don't know. He's arguably like the most famous Pokemon. Would you disagree with that? I think Pokemon's. Uh, I think Pikachu's the most. I think Pikachu has the most notoriety as a Pokemon for Pokemon and non-Pokemon people. I would definitely think that Pikachu has the most notoriety, yes. I mean, for a lot of things that is the main character, especially if you say that your only knowledge of it was the animated show, well, Ash has his Pikachu, always. Um, a lot of the games, well, granted, actually, some of the games you can't get Pikachu, but actually, I don't know if Poke... Hold on one sec. Um, okay. So if your only experience was with the show then you know blah, blah blah that whole thing but even in the games he's very prominent and in like specifically pokemon yellow that's the character you're for like the pokemon you're forced to get right away they, they definitely steered that to be the mascot of pokemon although with 898 i'm sure that most people will recognize at least one of them one other pokemon even just still, even if it's not Pikachu, I'm sure with that large number, someone will recognize one. Might not be able to name it, but they'll at least recognize one of them. That it's a Pokemon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rob, let's talk about Pokemon. Okay. I've I have played. We we're already doing that, but <laughs> let's talk about playing Pokemon. Oh, okay, okay. So tell me about the plot for Pokemon. It's it's a very similar plot for most of the games, isn't it? Uh, yeah, no, it, it's basically the same through a lot of them, with the exception of uh, XD, Gale of Darkness, Snap, Mystery Dungeon. <laughs> All right, there's a lot of other games. How about the core Pokemon series? Yeah, okay, so for okay. The, the main, like, your red, blue, yellow, or emerald, sapphire, Sun, ruby. Sun, mood, sword, shield. Yeah. Yep, well, eh, no, sword and shield's the same way, it's just... Okay, so the main story is you start out, you get your first Pokemon from normally the researcher in the area who then gives you a Pokedex, and you're sent off to go explore the world and find Pokemon. And then on your journey, you have gyms to battle, and there's trainers along the way that you have to fight to level up your Pokemon and get them to evolve. And and you also have the rival team, who's people that are up to no good, causing trouble, who you have to stop and save the day because you're the hero. And then after you 
save the day and you clear all the gyms or challenges or whatever you want to call them in that game, then you go on to your Elite Four, and then once you beat them, you beat the champion, and hey, here you are. You're the champion. Yeah. So in all of them, you get a rival. Doesn't the rival end up being the champion in most of them, like, like that you fight multiple times ter- during the game? No, not, not no? really. It no. wasn't the first one, right? Um. Yeah. No, I don't think so. The red and champion. I don't think it is. Oh no! Wait, in red and yellow, blue. Uh, blue. Yeah. yeah, you're right. I think it was. It is originals. actually blue. Yeah. 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 You're red. You're red, and your rival's blue. Well, no, you're you're not. Well, all right. I'm getting games confused at the moment. <laughs> I'm. I'm because red sh- appears. Yeah, I'm pretty okay. Well. That might be in yellow specifically, though. It's been a long time since I played the original trilogy, so I do need to brush up on those. But yeah, you go from city to city. In each city, there's a Pokemon gym, a training gym, and each gym has a leader. And then when you defeat a gym leader, you earn a badge. And when you get all the badges, you get into, in the first game, I believe it's the Indigo League. And the Indigo League is the best of the best. And as part of the Indigo League, you fight what's called the Elite Four, as Rob said. And then you fight the champion to become the champion yourself. So I will admit, I know that also you stumble across uh, criminal organizations that use Pokemon for criminal activities. In the first game, it's Team Rocket. Um, Rob, they're the only one of those I know. Are there other teams like that that are criminals throughout the series? There's a bunch. Uh, there's a bunch art there. There are definitely a lot. One sec. Uh, so aside from Team Rocket, you have Aqua and Magma, which, well, Aqua Magma. You have Galactic and Plasma. You have Flare and Skull. Rainbow Rocket and I Team Yell. So you have a lot of different criminal teams to fight against throughout the series. Uh, yeah, no, a lot of them. There's, there's definitely a lot of them. But I mean, obviously, that each of the different <laughs> regions or leagues, whichever you want to call it by, you know, you normally go like Kanto region or Johto regions. You're calling it by the region. Each of those regions generally does have different teams so like obviously in the kanto region that's where you're facing team rocket mostly but once you get uh in ruby sapphire so generation three that's where you start getting into team magma and um Wow, I'm blanking at this the second yeah so team aqua team magma and aqua because that's your kyogre and groudon so for those so. of you that are kind of trying to keep up, so each Pokemon game in the series, I mean, not every single one, but they distinguish themselves by taking place in different regions. And so they have different maps, basically. And these regions all have their own set of, you know, local Pokemon expert and cities with their own gyms, their own teams, their own criminal organizations. That's how every Pokemon game is not identical 
is ju- just basically they all take place in a different region. That's it. Well, they all take place in a different region. And also sometimes they, uh, so, well, specifically in gold and silver, that one actually had the Johto region and then you could go back and do the Kanto region after. So you could actually go back to the original area of red and blue gotcha play those again so well that's cool so let's talk about gameplay for a second so if you live under a rock and you've never played a pokemon game it's basically a game that involves the catching and training of fictional creatures that as we know are called pokemon or pocket monsters and then you use them to battle other trainers so rob how do you catch a pokemon well at its simplest you throw a pokeball and it stays in there but uh it's not always that simple. Sometimes you, you have to beat them up a little bit. And sometimes you might have to knock them out or paralyze them or, you know, just just make them not feel good. And where and do you then, catch where do you catch them? Well, you have to catch them in the wild. You can't just go to some random player and steal their Pokemon. It has to be a wild Pokemon that you find in the wild, like in the long, tall grass or in the caves or in the water. Or sometimes they do have forced encounters that the Pokemon is just there, such as like Snorlax with the flute. You wake him up and then, hey, now there's a Snorlax you can catch. Gotcha. Or Pseudo-Widow. So we talked about we talked about going to the gym and, and beating the, the gym leaders and, and gym implies that you train. So how do you train your Pokemon? You do have to train Pokemon, don't you? Yep. You train your Pokemon by fighting other Pokemon, knocking them out gaining experience for knocking them out and not knocking out your own and you can't and, gain experience when you're knocked out and so essentially pokemon is a role-playing game where you get your experience and you level up your pokemon to make them stronger and as they level up what do you what do you gain as they level up your stats get higher so you have more health more defense more attack um, you can gain new moves and for some pokemon that have the ability when you reach a certain level, they have the option to evolve, which creates an entirely new Pokemon based on the original one. So, you know, I mean, what evolution actually is. I really like what's the fox was. Is it six tails? Uh, no, you're you're three short there. Three tails, nine tails, three tails, nine, nine tails, nine tails. What's the one yeah. before that evolution? Vulpix. Yeah, I like that evolution. Actually, Vulpix was as a child one of my favorite pokemon for a long time it was one of my favorites still have a special place in my heart for Voltix, though i don't know why but i've always liked that one it's always stuck out for me so i mean i i think foxes are cute so that's natural for me so we were talking about pokemon you know needing to level up and battle their pokemon so let's talk about pokemon battling for a second uh, pokemon's an rpg that has turn-based battling you know, you've been playing, was it Pokemon Shield, the most recent one? Sword is what you got me. I got you Sword. So it's Sword and Shield. You know, they, they always release two versions of the same Pokemon that have different, some different Pokemon in them. So Sword. Uh, what Pokemon do you like to use in Sword? Well, I ended up going with one of my normal characters because they're actually obtainable in the game, which is really surprising. So I naturally have to go with Charizard. I have always liked Charizard since the Pokemon Red. I obviously choose Fire-type in most of my games because of that, and 
every time I have a Charizard, that's one of my most used. So I will say that Eternatus is pretty cool in that game. Duraludon is pretty cool. I did choose Scorbunny, so, you know, that, that evolution line is pretty fun, too. So there are definitely some good ones that I really enjoyed in the new series, but it's always going to have a special place in my heart for that Charizard. So let's talk about moves. What kind of moves does Charizard have? Well, <laughs> I want to know about Pokemon. Like, it does talk about the fighting system. What kind of moves does he do? He shoots fire, right? Yeah, I just wanted to make sure because you got a fire punch. So not him. Uh, you do have fire punch with uh, Torchic. Okay. And I think maybe Infernape would probably have one too. Uh, Charizard. Blaze. Don't believe he knows Blaze, but he does have Flamethrower. Okay. Could have Fire Fang. You could have Slash. Being a dragon type, he could use Dragon Claw or Dragon Breath. Uh, flying type, he could use something like Air Slash. He could actually learn Fly, if I remember correctly, uh, HMO2. So, so you that. said you said Charizard's a fire Pokemon, uh, which kind of brings dragon. me... Fire, he's, he's a fire dragon Pokemon, which brings me to the, my next point. Uh, wow. tell, tell us about the different Pokemon types. There's fire. What else do we have? Uh, water, fire, water. Yeah. Yeah. Fire, water, electric, grass, ice, fighting, poison, ground, flying, psychic, bug, rock, ghost, dragon, dark, steel, and fairy. Fossil. Is there fossil Pokemon? I mean, they're but they're they have their own type. Type, yeah. A fossil. I mean, you're like Kabutops or Kabuto would be a water type. Um, whereas pterodactyl or not pterodactyl, aerodactyl is a flying. I think flying normal. And so, would would a fire Pokemon be at a disadvantage to a water Pokemon? Uh, absolutely. There are multiple type advantages and disadvantages for most types uh and, and that and so and so that's a lot of the strategy to the game right is is oh, building yeah. building a team that is a counter to the pokemon type of the the fighters and trainers that you're going up against yep yeah absolutely so, so it's very much a rock paper scissors type of fighting system uh i mean yeah yeah i guess i, I never really thought of it that way but that's a great way to describe it because rock beats paper and water beats fire. Yep. But fire beats grass and grass beats water. Yep. So there, so there's, there is a, there's, it's very simple on one hand, but there's a whole lot of strategy that goes into it on the other. Um, because it's this, it's a system where you have all these different types of Pokemon and one type counters another. So, all right. So are you a completionist when it comes to Pokemon games? I 100% try to be, but a lot of the time, well, with newer games, it's a lot easier to be that way because you have trade options. But in a lot of the older versions, it was extremely difficult if you didn't have the other version or just weren't good at catching certain things. Or for the longest time, Mew was event exclusive. I got fortunate enough that a friend of mine had multiple copies and was able to give me one because I couldn't make it to Toys R Us when they were doing the event. 
but I didn't have a Mew for a long time because it was an event only Pokemon. And every time I went, I wanted to go, there was some reason we couldn't. Um, but certain Pokemon evolve only through trade. So you have to trade them before they'll evolve. So you can't ever, cause the game doesn't normally have that evolved form as a catchable Pokemon. So you actually have to trade to get that form. And then uh, some are, as we mentioned earlier, some are version exclusive. So like take for example, what was version exclusive in red and blue? Well, it's great that you asked because I actually was looking into this not too long ago. So in Pokemon Red, you could in in red but not blue, you could get Ekans and Arbok, which are the snake Pokemon. Mm-hmm. In blue only, you could get Sandshrew and Sandslash, as well as as you mentioned, Vulpix and Ninetales. Those were not available in red. And so the only way you could technically quote unquote catch them all was to trade those Pokemon with people who had the other version, correct? At the time, absolutely. I mean, even still now, yes. That If there's version exclusives, you have to either own both copies and trade amongst yourself or find someone else to trade with you. Well, nowadays it's a lot easier because the internet is so prolific, but at the time you literally had to connect two Game Boys together and watch uh, bugs cross around cable or run across cables. Not really, but you get the point, so... Um, I actually, I'm trying to think, and I, I do want to look this up because I'm pretty sure the original animation for, um, trading, trading, well, trading or battling was something like that, that it was like, it showed something like that when you went to do it. I mean, they always had some kind of animation when you were going through all of that. Right. But I could be wrong. It doesn't look like it. That's all right. It might be with trading. I believe that in some of the later games with trading, they actually had the animation of like similar to the show where it would go into the Pokeball and would like actually go to the other location and they would swap the Pokeballs and your Pokeball would come into your location. Gotcha. So maybe that's what I'm getting it confused with is that animation. Maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe. So... Well, Rob, this is usually about the time when I like to pull up critic and user reviews for Pokemon. But Pokemon is pretty well-loved. It's really hard. Well, A, it's hard to find reviews for games from this era. We've talked about that before. But people don't generally have bad things to say about Pokemon. It's insanely popular. I mean, it's $105 billion popular. It's no surprise. Um, and, and very hard. I found one review, absolutely one review, um, of someone who has a a kind of a different opinion of Pokemon. So, well, I'm sure there's more out there, but I'm sure you also had to search pretty hard to find this. I dug, I dug, uh, I mean, there's people that have, that take issue with pieces of Pokemon, but there aren't, and there's other people that aren't into pokemon but it's different to find someone that just like doesn't flat out bashes it so but i did find this one and since i just grinded you on the game i'll I'll take this review we'll mix it up a little bit today we're trying something different so okay 
Have at it, Dave. I know. So, Asinine on Moby Games says that he finds Pokemon too tedious to play. As he writes, the biggest problem to most people will likely be the grinding. The act where a player is forced to sit down and spend a long time repeating the same action in order to advance through the story. You can hold six monsters at a time, and every time you go to a new gym, the game will send tougher enemies in your direction, which means that you need to make sure that all six of your fighters are on par with whatever the game sends at you. Nothing is more frustrating than being faced by a ground-type monster and realizing that your only water Pokemon is 12 levels behind, which meant that large chunks of the games were spent in a patch of grass, running back and forth and healing up at the Pokemon Center between every three fights. Because of this boring cycle of gym, train, travel, gym, I quickly grew tired and bored of Pokemon after about the third gym. I went to Lavender Town, of course, but once I realized at the top of the tower that I actually needed an item from a nearby town with another gym in it, that's where I just shrugged the whole business off. There are some moments where you do something else, quite a lot in fact, but it always boils down to the same thing. And because of this, Pokemon can't possibly remain interesting to anybody above the age of eight. My first Pokemon game was also a huge disappointment. It must have been 11 years ago, but I haven't forgotten about it. Everyone in the 90s was a big fan of the anime, and when the new game arrived in town, everybody started dreaming about becoming a legendary Pokemon trainer. The problem is that the game never reaches the quality of the show, not even the newer episodes that I think are absolute shit. When you meet some of the iconic characters, they never never travel with you or even go on adventures with you. Brock and Misty both just kind of disappear from the story after you find them. Things looked up when I had to go on a boat because in the series this was a big Titanic reference, but all you do is get an ability you need and the boat just sails off. Nothing epic, no storylines, just back to your grinding. The game design is so simple, it's almost insulting. You don't even need to be a game design student to notice this. Anybody who has spent three days with RPG Maker can describe how almost this entire game is constructed. There is also a limit on how how you can blame on. There's also a limit on how much you can blame on. Well, it's just an old game. Sometimes the design is odd or inconsistent, like when very long houses pop up with no doors or other entry or exit points. And the game has also some very contrived ways to make the game linear, such as an old man very early on that won't let you explore the world any further because he hasn't had his coffee yet, which he waits to drink until you beat the local gym leader. So, so I guess Asinine really doesn't like Pokemon because, as he puts it, anyone who spent three days with RPG Maker can describe how this entire game is constructed. Uh, I mean, I I clearly disagree. I mean, this guy's got a lot of anger to let out, but... Uh, I mean, but you like Pokemon. Why do you like Pokemon? Well, for the same reasons that this guy doesn't, apparently. Like, I think that having the battles be the way that they are, like having to actually train and be stronger than your opponents is cool, and having, like, the ability to switch between different characters and having different movesets... And knowing effectiveness to know whether it's good or bad idea to put a certain Pokemon. It's, it's strategy. It's RPG. Um, the storyline for the most part is pretty cool. And then the, the going through and trying your best to collect them all. It's just it's it's a fun challenge. And I, I don't know. You know, it's also nostalgic, even in the newer ones. Yeah. Well, you know. 
Pokemon has all the makings for a game series I should be addicted to. I grew up on turn-based RPGs. I'm very much a completionist in that I have to collect everything. So a game that bases its entire structure on catching all of something or collecting all of something and then turn-based battling to make them stronger and then rinse and repeat. Honestly, it has all the makings of something that I should be a huge fan of. But the truth of the matter is, is I've just never gotten into the Pokemon series. It's not for lack of trying. I own, uh, I own more than one title in the Pokemon series, but I can honestly say I've never finished a single Pokemon game. So I, I don't, I don't really know. I don't have an explanation for why there's a disconnect, to be honest with you. I just don't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe because I don't have a lot of friends that are addicted and maybe the social aspect is part of the fun. I didn't grow up in that atmosphere, you know? Um, but Pokemon has just never been my thing. So sorry. I'm not really sorry. I don't have to apologize for that. <laughs> I mean, hey, you're just not that into it. That's okay. Some people are, are allowed to live with wrong opinions. Oh, I don't think it's a bad game. I never said it was a bad game. I'm not asinine. I mean, I, 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 I like its simplicity. The things that irritate him about that, that really simple game cycle. I think there's a lot of beauty in the simplicity of it. You know, we've, we've talked about like Pac-Man, you know, Pac-Man was a really great example of game design. It's a really simple, but really complex game. And Pokemon is the same way. It's rock, paper, scissors. That's 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 literally what it is. It's rock, paper, scissors. But it's such a fascinating way to uh, to do it. And they've never really changed the plot. I mean, it's meet the local expert, get your Pokemon, become the champion. Like that's that's pretty much the plot for all the Pokemons, you know, Um, and it works. It works because every time you have new regions to explore, a new Pokemon to find and fight and evolve. And that's fun. Seeing new things and finding new things is a, is a lot of fun. You know, I think that's great. I think Pokemon is great. It's just never been for me. Rob, on that note, do you have any counter argument to that? I guess before I move on. Uh, no, not, not, not really. All right. Well, I, I want to know your familiarity with Twitch plays Pokemon. I have been involved in a few games. Well, yeah, no, I've definitely done a few. So for those of you who don't know what Twitch plays Pokemon or TPP is, uh, TPP is a social experiment. It's a channel on the Twitch, which is a video game live streaming website, which is basically a crowdsourced attempt to play through various Pokemon games by... Basically, it takes commands from the chat channel. So on a Twitch channel, someone's playing a video game and people are chatting on the side. You know, most of the time they're ridiculing or saying hi to their favorite Twitch streamer. But in a TPP channel, people are telling the game, you know, left, right, down, up, A, B, yada, yada, yada. And so TPP is basically a Twitch channel you can go to where various video games mostly Pokemon games are played that the people in the chat, um, the people in the chat control the game. You know, it's a very interesting social experiment. It holds the 
Guinness World Record for having the most participants on a single-player online video game. At one point, there were 1,165,140 people participating in one playthrough of, I think it was Pokemon Red, broke the record um, on TPP. It's kind of interesting. It's confusing at times. You know, you've got a lot of people that are trying to do it. So it's got a very, really erratic nature to the control scheme, which basically, because you've got all these different people trying to do different things, it makes the games longer and harder to play than under normal circumstances. Characters get stuck in corners, they walk in circles, people mash buttons, so they check the Pokédex, they save over and over and over. People troll, you know, they just tell the game to do things that don't don't apply and I believe at one point they just kind of evolved it into like a Rob is a kind of like a democratic thing now where like over a certain period of time, people put in, put in a movement and the one with the most votes kind of wins. Is that kind of how they do it now? Uh, that was how it was done when I was doing it, but I don't know at the moment. I think it's really funny. Like when they're ta- like I was doing research on the original, like original TPP like they had a lot of problems, you know, the original one has mazes and ledges that it took them hours to navigate because people, people were intentionally sending the down command, which made the player jump off ledges and have to start over. There was an incident called bloody Sunday where there was an accidental release of 12 different Pokemon. while someone was trying to obtain a zap. Is it Zapdos? Is that how you say it? Zapdos, yeah. Um, someone was trying to obtain a Zapdos from the PC, and through all the commands being spammed, 12 Pokemon were accidentally released. So, Bloody Sunday. Yeah, there's just a bunch of stuff. There's just a bunch of stuff, uh, and it's a lot of fun. Since the first one, they've played through every version of the Pokemon games. They've played through random versions of Pokemon, they've played through RAM hacked versions to increase the difficulty. And in fact, the Twitch Plays concept has spread out to other games. Rob, have you seen any of the other games? Which other games? Any of the others. Have you ever seen a Twitch Plays of any other game before? Mm, Can't say that I have. So there are variations. Uh, They've played Tetris, Street Fighter 2, Halo. There's a Dark Souls, which I thought you you might have stumbled across Twitch Plays Dark Souls. No, I don't... I feel like that would be impossible. Uh, well, I didn't look be like in real time. <laughs> I didn't I didn't look and see what it was, but there's been a Dark Souls variation. People have played Fallout 3, PUBG, which really fascinates me. There is a Twitch Plays Breath of the Wild and a Twitch Plays Microsoft Flight Simulator, which is a little more recent. I also want to point out one of my favorite. In 2014, during the Hack New York Hackathon, someone streamed a concept called Fish Plays Pokemon, where the position of a beta fish in a fishbowl was used to control Pokemon Red. <laughs> Which uh, did it use I, like a uh, camera? Or, I, I, or? I I assume so. Yeah, I assume so. Oh, that, that's a lot of fun. So the Twitch the, the Twitch Plays Pokemon channel is still up. You can go right to you can go to Twitch right now to search for Twitch Plays Pokemon. When I was there the other night, there were about 80 people in the room and we and myself included, we were all playing through a game called The Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. So they're not on a Pokemon game right now. We're on an Ace Attorney game. Um, but yeah, so Twitch plays crowd crowd. Uh, the 
a crowdsourced playthrough of a video game that I will admit that before, before hopping on to TPP the other night, I had never really entertained this in any way, shape or form. So what about, and you said you were part of some of the original Pokemon ones. Yeah. Uh, I think that I did. Um, I want to say it was Emerald or at least Ruby Sapphire. So it was an earlier on gen. So what's the other pokey like you you were telling me that you were watching another Pokemon challenge. What was that? What was that one on the Twitch? Nuzlocke. Tell me what the Nuzlocke challenge is. So a Nuzlocke at its core is that you're only allowed to catch one Pokemon per area. So like every new route that you take is one Pokemon. Um and that's it. So the first Pokemon you encounter, you're able to catch and nothing after that. Everything else you have to either run or kill it off or whatever you say you. Um, some people do it where if you get a Pokemon that you already have, you can get another one. Um, but it varies depending on that. It, it really depends on like, I don't know if there's an official Nuzlocke, so to speak, but a lot of people do it differently just because they have varying levels of difficulty. Um, but the other thing about Nuzlocke is that if your Pokemon dies or faints in battle, it it's forever fainted. You can't revive it and bring it back and use it again. So it's definitely taking it to the next level because you have to be a lot more strategic with things because you obviously don't want to lose your best Pokemon because you had a bad matchup and ruin your entire game. Because once all your Pokemon faint, that's it. You're done. You have to start the whole thing over. Ugh. And that so happens. it's basically Pokemon on hardcore mode. Well, yeah. I, I should mean, say hardcore perma- mode. Permadeath. It's like permadeath. Oh, yeah, absolutely it is. Um, and then there's also some people that do a randomized variant of the Nuzlocke, which completely randomizes the Pokemon, every Pokemon in the game. So you could potentially run into a legendary right from the rip and get like a level three uh, Rayquaza and just train him up and use him to destroy everything and everything, anything. Gotcha. Any other fun facts about Pokemon that you'd like to share with our audience? Cause I'm pretty tapped out. I spent a lot of time telling you about Pokemon's origins. So well, some some interesting ones that I found because honestly, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things to know, and I'm not the one who knows them all. Uh, but one of the things that I learned is that there is one Pokemon, uh, Azuril, who has a one in three chance of changing its gender on evolution, which that is the literally only Pokemon that can do that. Um, that's, so that's interesting. Yeah, uh, just yeah, they evolve with the gender swap. Well, there there aren't not every Pokemon has a gender. Not every Pokemon is, has a gender, right? They're not all like Correct. that. Um, Correct. There's there's only a handful in each generation that that have a gender, actually. No, it's it's a majority of them that do have a gender. Uh, a lot of the genderless ones are primarily going to be your legendary Pokemon. 
um, or just very special ones. I mean, I, obviously there's going to be some exceptions where it's a common Pokemon with no gender, but in a lot of the earlier versions, it was just that it was a special type of Pokemon that didn't get gendered. Gotcha. Well, I mean, aside from the games, you know, Pokemon, we, we talked a little bit about the cartoon. You know, we had Detective Pikachu as a, a movie recently. Do you ever get into Pokemon Go? I have played quite a bit of that, yes. Yeah, I never got into Pokemon Go either. I just can't. I, I don't know what it is, man. I, I don't I don't know. I don't know. I don't have anything against Pokemon. It's just, like I said, never been something that has quite stuck with me. So, well, I anything else you want to tell us about Pokemon? Hmm. I mean, there's just so many random things. <laughs> like... I mean, actually, one thing that I was reminded of that I actually, when I first found out was really cool, is that Arcanine was meant to be a legendary Pokemon with um, Articuno and Zapdos, but obviously they wanted a trio of birds with those two, so it became Moltres. But you can see the similarities in Arcanine in what they did when they created Entei. So they kind of still got their legendary dog the big tough fire breathing dog so i mean it's just cool to know yeah um, there there are i mean you know we're, we're we're talking about the first pokemon and we're dabbling a little bit in all the later pokemons but realistically how how many pokemon are there now total 898 898 there there this first game has 151 and in 20 some years, now we're at 898 Pokemon. So there is no shortage of Pokemon to talk about, um, you know, and, and maybe we'll revisit some other games in the series and talk specifically about their relevance and so on and so forth. But, you know, Pokemon as a whole, um, I think has been a success. What do you think? Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I can agree. Well, I think on that note, in the beginning, we talked a little bit about people such as Hiptanaka, you know, where we talked about him being part of Creatures Incorporated, you know, which also produced Earthbound. Now, we did an episode on Earthbound, and if you'd like to go back and listen to it, you can do so through our episode archives. Of course, we're found anywhere that you get your podcast, but you can also go to www.memorycardlane.com and look back at past episodes, including the one on Earthbound. Also on our website, you will find a calendar of upcoming events. And if you see an upcoming episode that you'd like to contribute to, there's a submission button for each episode where you can click on and send us a question, a memory, a review, a comment, anything like that. And we will take the time to read it on ear. Also, you'll find biographies for us, the ability to join our Discord if you would like to come play games with us, such as next week when we're going to be doing the Battlefield 2042 uh, open beta. And there is a link to our Patreon where you can support our podcast financially if you'd like to choose to do, if you would like to do so. Lastly, you can find links to our social media. Our podcast is on Facebook. Just search for Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Or you can find me specifically on Twitter. Uh, I have an account for... Um, it's tripped on McCard Lane. That's what it's called. I also have my own personal Twitter at David underscore is wrong, where I post about our episodes, which video games, happy birthday and post really lame rocket league hi highlights. Rob, what are you doing on social media these days? 
Well, Dave, I can be found streaming on twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So this is about the time when we wrap up the episode. As we say in the beginning, each week we try to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. As part of that conversation, we like to go roundtable and talk about what we learned today. So Rob, what is your biggest takeaway for our Pokemon episode? I guess that I did not know about Tajiri's dream of being an entomologist. So where did you think that Pokemon came from? I mean, I... Never really thought about it? I shouldn't... It's not that I never thought about it. I guess I didn't just think of, like, the idea for creating it. It's more of just that people looked at creatures and saw them in different ways and animals fight naturally so it just made sense to train fighting animals but slightly different animals so it didn't seem so inhumane gotcha and so it didn't have michael vick simulator over here no but it never really dawned on you that it was insects huh uh yeah no i i mean obviously they're insect pokemon but i just didn't know that the entire idea stemmed from insects yeah that's really cool i had no idea that pokemon jets existed (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay yeah i didn't know that one either that that actually that might be that's still my See, favorite i had already takeaway. forgot because that's just like such a random thing like oh man that yeah, is still no, my no. favorite takeaway pokemon jets i mean come on poke i guess it's not so crazy because we take like disney cruises and now there's going to be like a star wars galactic battle cruiser hotel so a, a pokemon jet is really not a a, a, a far-fetched concept I just didn't know it existed and it, it cracked me up when I was looking at how Pokemon made its money and it goes three million dollars in aircraft jet sales. And I was like, what the hell does Pokemon sell aircraft jets? Oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it makes sense. But it's just not knowing. That's pretty freaking weird. So, well, yeah, well, that that's that's Pokemon. I uh, uh, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Rob, before I take it out of here, uh, what would you like to add to today's episode? Uh, as always, I want to take a moment to say thank you to everyone for listening. It's a lot of fun. More fun when we know that you're listening and enjoying it. Or not enjoying it. We don't care. We just want to know you're listening. But tell us about it. Dave told you where. Very true. Go to our website, memorycardlane.com. All right, well... I'm going to take it out of here. We're going to look ahead to next week where we're going to be looking at a game that's believed to be the first cinematic platformer game and has inspired countless games that have come after it. First release for the Apple II in October of 1989, Prince of Persia is a game whose success and relevance were not immediately seen but realized in time. And we're going to talk about it and all the reasons why and all the reasons that it's so important as we take a rotoscoping trip down memory card lane to the thing. Nice.